Welcome to another edition of Politics Done Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. Tom Hartman is a four-time winner of Project Censored Award, a New York Times bestselling author of 32 books and America's number one progressive talk radio show host. His show is syndicated on local for-profit and non-profit stations and broadcast nationwide and worldwide. It is also simulcast on television into nearly 60 million U.S. and Canadian homes. And we carry it at KPFT 90.1 FM in Houston as well. Tom Hartman, welcome to Politics Done Right once again. My buddy, Egberto, it's great to be back here with you. Man, I tell you, you know, um, my biggest pet project has always been healthcare. Having a wife with lupus, having to go around the, the things with uh, what, what we call the... Um, the uh, pre-existing conditions and all of that. Now I have a daughter as well in med school who had a, a uh, AVM, a stroke uh, caused by an AVM. So I'm well aware of the evil that is our healthcare system. And you know what you did? You put it in a nice form in a book that every single American that is misinformed by our media needs to read. Thank you so kindly for writing that book, sir. Why don't you start by telling me about um, why did you write this book? Well, I, I wrote the book because uh, healthcare is probably the, the one thing, uh, or I mean, there's a bunch of things that touch us all throughout our lives, but, uh, and the, the economy is a big piece of that, but it's the one thing that, that, uh, is we're at a crisis. I mean, just a major crisis point in the United States. We've got tens of millions of people who have no access to healthcare or no access to a, pay, a way to pay for healthcare. Um, we've got hundreds of millions of Americans who are underinsured or malinsured. And, uh, and we've got an industry that is raking in a billion dollars a week in profits. And, uh, you know, a, a, like a giant leech attached to the back of our society. And uh, so, you know, it just seemed like the right time and the right book. And, and then on top of that, of course, we're in the middle of a pandemic. It used to be about a half a million Americans would go bankrupt every year because of healthcare expenses. Uh, last year, I think it was around 700,000. This year, it'll probably be over a million because of COVID. So, you know, I wrote the book. Yeah, you know, it is interesting because as it turns out, um, uh, there's a lot that I'm going to want to cover where it talks about how we develop medicines and all that kind of stuff that you also included in your book. But I want to start at the beginning. Um, you know, um, why is it that we do not consider uh, healthcare in this country a right? How did it ever become such a huge profit center? It's an amazing story. It's an absolutely amazing story, which I didn't know until I began researching this book. And uh, it, it didn't surprise me, but it shocked me. Um, in, 18, in 1884, in, 19, in 1884, um, uh, Germany got their first, got the world's first single payer healthcare system. It was uh, Otto von Bismarck. And uh, he was no pacifist. You know, this was when Germany was an empire. And uh, around in that same decade, a young man from Germany by the name of Frederick Ludwig Hoffmann emigrated from Germany to the United States at the age of 17 with five bucks in his pocket. And uh, young Fred uh, was brilliant with numbers. He was a savant. And he ended up going to work for the Prudential Insurance Company, life insurance company. It was the largest insurance company in the country at the time. 
uh, running numbers on things. And he was the guy who discovered that there was a statistical association between uh, smoking cigarettes and lung cancer, between exposure to asbestos and mesothelioma, between working in cotton mills and lung fibrosis, and between eating a diet high in processed foods and cancer. So he turned his efforts to race. Why was it and the Prudential and Life Insurance Company wanted to know? They were just dabbling with writing policies for Black people at the time. Um, why is it that Black people in America were dying at higher rates and getting sick at higher rates than were white people? And so Hoffman did his rigorous uh, numerical research. Uh, back then, uh, neither he nor probably most Americans even understood the concept of sy systematic or systemic racism. And, and uh, anyhow, did, did his math and came to the conclusion, number one, that yes, it's true. And number two, that therefore, it must be caused by a genetic inferiority among people of African ancestry. Uh, which, was, by the way, was conventional wisdom in 1896 when he published his book, uh, Race Traits of the American Negro, Race Traits and Tendencies of the American Negro. Um, and then in his book and in his public lectures thereafter, he, came, he then jumped from that to a third conclusion, which is that because uh, African-Americans were so genetically inferior to white people, and in fact, he, he even argued that during the slavery period, they'd been just fine because whites were taking care of them. But because they were so genetically inferior, uh, we could solve the race problem in America if we just forbade them from having access to health care for just a couple generations and they'll all die out. Extinct. Yeah. Yes. There you go. And he, he honestly thought he was going to solve the race problem in America. Uh, I mean, this was insane, but he published the book. He went on tour. He traveled around the country. It was a major best-selling book. Uh, people in the 19 aughts, the 19 teens, the 1920s, they all knew about it. In the 19 teens, Woodrow Wilson took some of his theories and used them to develop the American eugenics program um, that Hitler imitated in the 30s and the 40s and used as, as the basis for the final solution. And, and it's the reason why in 1912, when Teddy Roosevelt, with his square deal, when he was running for, running for president for a third term, um, why Teddy Roosevelt uh, was, or second and a half, you know, one and a half, to, he had one and a half terms. Anyway, uh, why Teddy Roosevelt uh, was shot down on, you know, uh, metaphorically on, on proposing a single payer healthcare system. It was part of his square deal. And people said, but... Black people will get health care. We can't have that if we make it, it universal. It never fails, right? Oh, it was incredible. It's why in 1936, when Franklin Roosevelt proposed, you know, a national health care system, people were like, but black people. It's why in 1947, when Harry Truman proposed a national single payer health care system, again, but black people. It's why in 1961, when John Kennedy proposed a single payer system, but black people. And, and then in 1965, Lyndon Johnson and Robert Ball are writing the Medicare legislation in, in 65, and the Southern white senators come to them and they say, we got to build into this thing some kind of a bar that black people can't jump over because we don't want them in our white hospitals. And so that's why there's a 20% bar that you got to jump over. Right? There's a 20% copay, essentially, or deductible or whatever you want to call it. We call it the gap, the Medicare mm -hmm. gap, um, that uh, Medicare Part B hospital coverage does not pay 20% of the cost. It's why you've got to buy a supplemental policy called a Medigap policy. 
And that was to satisfy guys like John Stennis and, and you know, the, the Southern, the white Southern racist uh, senators. They figured so, black people didn't have the, the capital to, to pay for that policy. So therefore no hospitalization, eh? That's, that's absolutely correct. 60% of the black population in the United States lives in the South and uh, in, in, largely in poverty, particularly in 65. I mean, you know, it's, it's still a major poverty problem in the South. Um, but uh, in 1965, it was, you know, it, it was endemic. And uh, so they won't be able to afford to pay the 20%. They won't show up in our all-white hospitals. And so that's why we don't have health care as a right. Now, since, uh, you know, race was the principal issue right up until the 1980s, then in 1983, when Reagan stopped enforcing the Sherman Antitrust Act or directed the Justice Department and the Federal Trade Commission to stop enforcing it, and companies started turning into monopolies, we went from hundreds of small local health insurance companies all over the country to about a dozen. And, and it became a major, very profitable industry. Reagan also uh, helped blow up laws. When I was in Michigan in the 70s, I owned a herbal tea company in, in the early 70s. We had 18 employees and I paid for their health insurance for all of them. And it was super cheap. It was like 35 bucks a month. Because at that time, all the health insurance companies had to be nonprofit and all the hospitals had to be nonprofit. Reagan blew that up. And so since the 80s, it hasn't been so much about race, although I'm sure in the South it still is. There's 12 states that haven't expanded Medicaid, and just by coincidence, they're all former slave states. But uh, the, the, I would say the main reason has been that since the 80s, this, this industry has gotten so wealthy and so powerful that every time a politician pops up and says, hey, let's have single-payer health care and put the insurance companies out of business, they just pour a few million dollars down their throats and you know, blow up a couple of hundred million dollars on TV advertising. And that's the end of that. Now, it, it is it is amazing because they sell they try to sell the, the reason for having insurance company as a choice. Right. But we really know that each insurance company tells you what medicines you can take, what doctors you can see, what hospitals you can go to. So therefore, they're asking you to relegate your choice to one insurance company, as opposed to giving you a Medicare for all system where you decide who you are going to allow this Medicare for all system to pay for your services. How did we get the, the how did the media, how did we allow the media to promote such a false story? Well, for television, it's a fairly easy answer. You know, big pharma and, and big hospitals and big insurance companies are all kind of you know, like joined at the hip. And uh, we are one of only two companies, countries in the world that allows pharmaceuticals to be advertised on television. And it, and they are uh, probably the major revenue source. Oh, for yeah. most you realize you just made a Freudian slip, right? What, what did I say? You, you called our country a company. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Um, and and uh, I thought I corrected myself. <laughs> you, oh, no, you did. You did correct yourself. <laughs> but, but I get your point. Um, you're absolutely right. So uh, and, and that's that's the problem is, you know, I mean, you know, Reaganism, uh, you know, the neoliberalism that swept the United States in the 1980s. And it's still very much with us, um, you know, small pushbacks from Joe Biden, notwithstanding. He's the first president, actually, to push back against neoliberalism since 1981. Um, but uh, it, it has basically turned our governance over to our giant corporations. You know, it's interesting, Tom. I did sort of a mea culpa uh, 
today when I spoke about uh, a statement that Michael Moore had to say with regards to um, Biden, because I, in my support for Bernie, I had always considered Biden an, a strong neoliberal. And so far with the policies that he's uh, actually supporting, um, when Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez said that she's surprised, I think I'm doubly surprised as she is that he's done what he's done. Me too. He's he's acting like a man who either one realizes we're in a crisis and these neoliberal solutions, you know, how do you figure, you know, how we got to figure out a way that somebody can make a buck out of this, that that's not the way to go. Or two uh, is old enough and late enough in his life and is at a position of power where he just doesn't need anybody else and figures what the hell I'm going to do the right thing or both. And I think it's probably a bit of both. I think it's, I, my gut feeling tells me it's, it's both. Anyway, your book, your book, and folks, I want to get you guys uh, name this book out again, because uh, I think if we are going to change this system, if we're going to get Medicare for all, if we're going to do all the things that are necessary to really get an equitable healthcare system, people have to be educated. And this is, forget about all the other books. This is the book, Hidden His, The Hidden History of American healthcare, why sickness bankrupts you and makes others insanely rich. And when I when I interview you, Tom, it's not about selling a book, but this for our change, we need to get this book out there because yeah, I wrote of, it as a handbook for for yes, Medicare for All activists. Basically, it is one of the most honest books I've read, talking about the story about. Healthcare. I mean, you cover not only healthcare as we know, but important things. Let's talk about uh, what everybody fears. There's a commercial, uh, an ad on a Medicare ad, not a Medicare ad, an ad on TV talking about the changes that Congress wants to make that forces Medicare to negotiate for uh, prices on drugs. Right. And there is a woman, an everyday American woman on TV on a commercial that says they want. They're, they're going to stop giving me my choices. I find a way to pay for my insulin somehow. We know the story about insulin. We know how they jacked up a price of a product that is no longer in patent, just the delivery system being in patents. Yeah. But she knows the drug is expensive and they, wa- they don't want to scare you. So they say, we know it's expensive, and, but we always find a way for you to get your drug. But now Congress wants to make it impossible for me to get the drug. Your thoughts on that? I'm pretty sure you saw that, that ad. Oh, yeah. And it's a response to the AARP ads that are calling for Congress to change Medicare Part D so that Congress can or so that Medicare can uh, for Congress negotiate the Medicare can negotiate drug prices. Exactly. Which which was outlawed. I mean, when George W. Bush did his Medicare Reform Act, basically back in 2003, um, you know, there were there were two things. Number one, they created this thing called Medicare Advantage, which is a complete scam. And it's not Medicare. Let's not do that yet, because that you wrote a you, you wrote an excellent essay on Medicare Advantage, and I want to direct people a chapter from your book here. Yeah, I know. Well, it's, I, want it's, direct people, so, so, I mean, that was wonderful, Tom, but I don't want to get there yet. I want to okay. stay this stuff on the, on, on the, the insulin and that sort of. Right. And the second part theft. of it was that Medicare has to pay full retail for all drugs, even though they're buying, even though they're paying for millions and millions of drugs. So if, if you or I went to the drugstore and, and, you know, bought at full retail, a, a bottle of, you know, some antibiotic, you know, penicillin or something, and it cost $5, then Medicare has to pay that $5. But when the VA wants to buy, you know, a hundred million doses of penicillin for the year, 
they don't pay five dollars a bottle they pay 20 cents a bottle because right. they're buying they're buying a million a year and, right. and you know medicare is paying for a million a year but they're paying five dollars a bottle instead of 10 cents a bottle and you know it's a it's literally a 60 billion dollar a year profit for the pharmaceutical industry coming right out of us, right out of our government, right out of our Medicare system, right out of our taxes, and going right into the coffers of these giant pharmaceutical companies and their wildly overpaid executives. Now, Tom, under the tenets of capitalism, right, the investors in creating a product, they, they get, relative to their investment, they get a portion of the spoils. Now, as it turns out, as you explained in your book as well, uh, most of our drugs, who, who developed most of our drugs, Tom? Uh, we do. It's, uh, they're funded by the National Institutes of Health, which is the federal government. It's our tax dollars. The, so you're, the, I'm sorry. The, the drug companies will claim that they invent and develop uh, lots and lots of drugs, but mostly what they do, the, the basic research is almost 100% uh, paid for by the federal government to develop uh, brand new drugs. Like, you know, for example, uh, floxidine, what we call Prozac, um, uh, you know, and then what they'll do is, okay, the patent is running out. We can't charge a high price for it anymore. So they'll just hang a new, you know, a hydroxyl group on or a different, you know, another atom of oxygen here. It still does the same thing. They tweak the molecule a little bit and they can repatent it. And that's, you know, when the pharmaceutical companies talk about developing new drugs, that's what they're talking about. They're tweaking drugs to keep them under patent, to keep the prices high. Um, you know, but if you're looking at the original families of drugs that are created they're almost all created with nih grants at universities across the country so we are the investors and when they sell these drugs at these high profits shouldn't we then uh i mean we we, we don't have a way for us to get investment but should we tax the whole hell out of that to get back the investment that we put into it in the first place tax the profits that they don't want us to get I think so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, or, or make sure that they're available as generics if we helped pay for them. And, and that's the reason why I said pe people don't understand that because that woman's uh, ad that we spoke about, who's talking about insulin, she would get a lot of older folk to, to listen to them like, oh my God, I know the prices may go down, but it may hurt me later. I'm in my older years. I may need new drugs right. without right. understanding that. No, that's so why cynical. it is so important. Now, Let's go, let's get to the core of what affects people generally 62 or 65 and older, Medicare. You are 65 years old. And, and those that are, that are under 50 right now that are listening to this show, this is going to apply to you because likely Medicare age is going to drop as well. There are two options, Medicare and Medicare Advantage. Right. And you have a chapter in here which you released as an essay all over the darn country about Medicare Advantage being a scam. The floor is all yours. Please give us the totality of that paper. George W. Bush uh, always wanted to privatize both Social Security and Medicare. He thought that they were both socialism and, and not consistent with American values. He, of course, was born into a multimillionaire family. You know, it's a... a and, and uh, you know, with a, with a giant estate up in, in Maine and another in Connecticut and, you know, et cetera. And uh, he campaigned around Texas in 1978 for Congress on this platform of privatizing Medicare and, and Social Security. And he lost, ultimately. Um, but when he became president, he was like, ha ha, here's my chance. 
And so uh, Medicare Part C goes way back and it allows private insurance companies to offer certain plans. But there was a very, very tiny niche market where they were mostly kind of filling in the cracks in places where things weren't available. And it was just it was a boutique business. And so what they did when they when they uh, reformed Medicare in, in 2003, as I recall, um, was uh, they allowed the insurance companies to brand those private for-profit health insurance plans for people over 65 as Medicare Advantage. So not only does it have the word Medicare in it, even though it's not Medicare, it's private for-profit insurance, but it has the word Advantage, which makes it seem like it's Medicare Plus, like it's better than Medicare. And uh, almost a little over a third of Americans now have uh, over 65 have signed up for these plans. So as we're talking about Medicare for all. Let's offer Medicare to everybody in America. And it's starting to gain some real serious momentum. The problem that we have right now is that one third of Medicare isn't even Medicare. It's already privatized. And so if that continues and they roll out, you know, Medicare for all and Medicare Advantage for all, um, you know, it's we're just going to be back where we started eventually. But um, I, I want you to go a little bit further, if you will, Tom, because what you did is you used the example of a friend of yours. Yeah. And that yeah. friend of yours showed the evil that sits within this thing called Medicare Advantage that both costs us more and delivers less. And what happens is for those older people that are relatively healthy, it seems like a good deal. But right. the first time... And when you're older, you get sicker. The first time that you need to use it, you learn a hell of a lot of things. Why don't you kind of explain to us that for our, and, and this is what I want, Tom, because I want this to be inf for informational. People need to know bluntly, you should not get Medicare Advantage. You should get Medicare. And a Medigap plan. And, and a Medigap. Yeah, please you explain. You have to buy it from a private company. Right. Please um, explain. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, I, I have a friend I used to, who I used to hang out with. He, was, he lives in New York. We used to hang out together down in Greenwich Village back in the early 70s. And uh, I hadn't seen her or even heard of him in years, actually. And, and uh, we have uh, multiple mutual friends. And one of them told me this story while I was writing the book. And I reached out to him and had a conversation. And, and it's in the book. And uh, basically what happened was he turned 65. And, uh, you know, uh, this was about a year ago. Um, uh, he's, he must be four years younger than I am or five years younger than I am. And, and uh, he turned 65 and he went online to sign up for Medicare, thinking that that's what he should do. He got hopelessly confused because it's kind of a mess. And by the way, the Bush administration and the Trump administration both have done everything they can to make it even more of a mess. Um, and so finally, he just said, ah, screw it. I'll, I'll figure this out later. And a month or two later, he was having trouble peeing and he went to the doctor and said, there's something going on down there. They did a blood test and found out his PSA was so high that not only did he almost certainly have prostate cancer, but most likely it had already broken through his prostate into his bloodstream, which is the second leading cause of death among men in the United States, metastasized prostate cancer. So the clinic that he went, he had gone to this, one of these dock in the box, you know, urgent place, urgent care places where you can walk in and pay 50 bucks cash and you know, get a, get your blood test and find, get a, you know, a, a, a prostate exam and, or maybe 200 bucks or whatever it is. Anyhow. 
So they were associated with a larger group that sold Medicare Advantage plans. And so they said, oh, well, we can sign you up for Medicare Advantage so you can get this taken care of because this is going to require surgery or something. And, uh, and, uh, and we can, and in fact, we've got a plan that's a no dollar plan. You don't have to pay a penny for it. And you get all these wonderful things. And uh, so he signs up for Medicare Advantage. And then he starts calling around looking for a doctor who can deal with prostate cancer. And he finds that the very, very best, the top prostate cancer doctors in the country, um, but particularly in New York City where he lived, and in fact, in the whole state, are at Sloan Kettering Memorial Cancer Center right there in New York City. And so he makes an appointment and a month or so later, he goes in for the appointment and uh, presents his Medicare Advantage card because he had told them he was on Medicare when, when when he called. He presents his Medicare Advantage card and they're like, this is not Medicare, this is private insurance and we're not in this company's group. group. In fact, we're not in any Medicare Advantage companies groups because none of them want us because we charge higher prices. If you had regular Medicare, no problem, we could see you, but the Medicare Advantage, sorry, you're toast. And so then he went back to try to figure out how to get back on Medicare and discovered that if you, when you first turn 65, if you sign up for Medicare Advantage, well, let me, let me back up. When you turn 65, if you sign up for Medicare and you buy a Medigap plan, and typically they're about 100, 150 bucks a month that fills in that 20% gap, the health insurance companies that sell those Medigap plans are heavily regulated. Those, they do not rip you off. These are not scams. These were put into place in 1965 as part, you know, along with Medicare. And so they cannot look at your pre-existing conditions. They have to take you no matter what. And that was, you know, that was the sales pitch that Lyndon Johnson made for Medicare. And, and so, but if you sign up for Medicare Advantage and then try to go back to Medicare and pick up a Medigap plan, at that point, they can say, oh, you're not signing up at the age of 65. You're not first signing up with us and you now have pre-existing condition. We're not going to write an insurance policy for you. Medigap can deny you it's, because it's private, right? Medigap is private as well. That's, yes, it, but they can't deny you when you first sign up. And I think that there's a period, and I don't. it might be in the book, I'm not sure, but I think it's within the first year. Um, if you try to sign up, they can't deny you. But after that, they can turn you down. Okay. And, that's, and that's what happened to him. And um, I, I've got, in fact, I haven't. I haven't even heard from him in about four or five months. I don't know if he's still alive. I got, I've got to, you're reminding me, I need to call our mutual friend, Jerry, and see what happened. So now, um, so, 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 and there was another thing that I said that, that, that I think you cannot change policies midstream. You have to wait for the sign up date. Right. There's this open Medicare. enrollment period from, I think it's October 7th to, well, sometime in October to sometime in late December, early January. So if you and want then, to go back to Medicare, you're hosed. And secondly, if you want to get that 20% covered, if you have a, a pre-existing condition, you're hosed. You're forever right. going to be responsible for that pre-existing condition. Once they've got you, they've got you, and you're screwed. For the rest and that's the life. whole deal behind it, right? In other words, that's what they want. They want, to, they want it that that is the only thing you can use, and then there is no other reason then for you to go back to Medicare because you're hosed either way. Yep, yep, absolutely. So, folks, so, uh, you know, the, the moral of the story is buyer beware. So let me and ask you if this this that's is why I absolute... yell at the TV every fall when when Joe Namath comes on and starts oh. doing his little rants, you know, and I'm like, you know, but 
You need to sign up for Medicare Advantage. You can get free meals. You can get free rides to the doctor. It's just wonderful stuff. And I'm yelling at them, you lying. <laughs> so let me let me ask you this before we before we close here. I want to I want to see if this if based on your book, this is what I think I got. But I want I want you to corroborate it. Any friend of mine, absolutely any friend of mine turned in 65, I would absolutely tell them, even if it's going to cost you a couple of hundred dollars more a month, get Medicare, the real thing, and Medigap. Do okay. not touch Medicare Advantage at all. That's, that's my mantra, yeah. Okay, Tom. Here's, uh, the, see, here's the sad, there's one really sad part to this, and that is because Medi- Medicare Advantage is so unregulated. Um, and they've figured out a way to scam the Medicare system because, you know, Medicare Advantage plans actually suck more money out of the Medicare, right. out of the Medicare system than does regular Medicare because they, they got to make a profit. Right. So there's they're skimming their money off the top. Um, and as as a result of that, um, well, I'll just I'll just leave it at that. That's it's just it's, well, it's let me I'll, I'll I'll summarize that in one sentence, because what you explained in your document is that they've created a, a way that they can make healthy people look sicker so they can control can pick more money right. out of the government. In other words, it's a legal way of ripping off our tax dollars. Yeah, thanks uh, so thanks they, for summarizing they, that. Yeah, they get it on both sides. But and anyhow, I realize this is going to get complicated. And you just said as we're wrapping up. So I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it but the way that, you know, I, I read your book, so I, I understand what it is. And I'm going to cover it more on the show as well. But anyway, Tom, what did I not ask you that you definitely want to get out in this session? Well, how do we get to Medicare for all? Um, I, I think uh, there's there's a couple of possibilities that I talk about in the book. One is we do what Canada does. This is, I think, the most likely way we're going to end up with it and, and probably the, the best way. Um, in Canada, Tommy Douglas in Saskatchewan got Medicare for all passed for his province, the small state, essentially, in Canada. And then it worked so well, all the other states wanted it, all the other provinces wanted it. Within a decade, it had gone national. Um, Vermont and California both passed legislation to do this. The problem, and if, if actually the, the guy in Vermont who was in charge of putting this into place was an old friend of mine. Um, uh, when you know the legislature passed it and, and Peter Shumlin was the governor, then he signed it into law. And uh, what they discovered, much to their chagrin, was that back in the 60s, when LBJ put a Medicare together, he was concerned that the Southern states would take the Medicare money, but they'd refuse to provide services to Black people. And so there's an audit trail, essentially, from the federal government all the way down to the consumer for both Medicare and Medicaid. It's, it's different for the two different programs, but there's this audit trail. And therefore, if you break that trail, you lose the money. So when Vermont tried to do single payer, um, they had X billion every year coming into Vermont via Medicare to people over 65, and Medicare would have to cut them 100% off. They would have lost all that money. Plus, they would have lost all their Medicaid money. And, and so if they had to make those two things up, in addition to single payer for all the people in between, you know, uh, it would have bankrupted the state, the same with California. So what you need to do is call your legislators, your two senators, and your member of the House, and say, please pass legislation to give the states waivers, Medicare and Medicaid waivers, so that they can do state-based single payer health care. Just that straightforward. And it sounds kind of wonky. I get it. And I don't want to get into ERISA and all the, you know, there's acronyms and weirdness. And, but that's, that's the bottom line. And if we can get just a couple of states to go Medicare for all, it will spread across the country because it not, it, Canada isn't the only example. It's just the closest to us. But that's how it works. You know, my, my old friend Dick Gregory used to say, 
when you've got something good, you don't have to force it on people. They will steal it. They'll want it. <laughs> so people will get it. You know, people will get it. Tom Hartman from the Tom Hartman Show. Thank you so kindly once again. Remember, folks, hey, you know, I, I, I need to do this. Tell folks how do they reach your show and all the different platforms that you're on. Let's get a quick one there because in the progressive space, we got to start doing that. Let everybody that doesn't know about it know about it. So you have your radio show. When is your radio show? Uh, the, the radio show is not is noon to three Eastern time on, on radio stations all over the country and Sirius XM and, and free speech TV and uh, Tom Hartman.com will get you that information. And then I do a daily rant that you referred to earlier, five days a week. Uh, it's free. There's no ads or anything. Um, and we don't sell the list or anything. And that's at HartmanReport.com. Folks, don't forget, check it out. Tom, thank you so kindly for having been on Politics Done Right. It's my pleasure and my honor, Egberto. Thank you. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.